Good morning, Faith family. It's good to be with you. Esther and I are very grateful to you all for 38-plus years, as you've heard, of faithful support and prayer and giving. Uh, We simply could not have done what God allowed us to do in all these years without such faithful support. I also want to bring greetings from someone. My dad was a member here for over 30 years, and he's living in uh, Lancaster County in New Holland, and he sends greetings. And uh, we are uh, privileged uh, this first three and a half months of our home ministry assignment to live near him in Ephrata so that we can, during the week, see him now and then, uh, more, much more frequently, and uh, then make trips on the weekends. Well, now, um, I don't want to take more time with greetings and such, but rather get right to God's Word. And I'm going to read our text for this morning, found in Acts chapter 13. So if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 1093. And we'll begin reading at Acts chapter 13, verse 38, to the end of the chapter. Just a a note, uh, I am not so as familiar with the New International Version, which you use. I tend to use the ESV, uh, English Standard Version. So you may find some discrepancies in my wording in uh, in the sermon from what we're reading. They will be minor, I assure you, but uh, bear with me, please. All right, this is the Word of God. For when David had served, I beg your pardon, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord 
and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Lord God in heaven, our Father, these are your words to us today. Holy Spirit, would you please give us understanding, give us light, and give us hearts that receive your word with joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon title is Good News, The Ends of the Earth, and You. And since this passage uh, that we're going to look at this morning is part of a historical narrative, we need a little background. So um, let me give that. Holy Spirit, through the church leaders in Antioch, Syria, sent out Barnabas and Paul to do the work to which he, that is Holy Spirit, had called them. Barnabas and Paul passed through Cyprus and then over to the mainland of Asia Minor, where they went to a Roman colony called Antioch in the region called Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue and were invited to speak. The synagogue also had Gentile God-fearers in attendance. Luke gives us a summary of Paul's sermon in verses 16 to 41. He speaks first about God's choosing and saving the children of Israel and giving them their land and their leaders. The last great leader was King David, and in recent days, David's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, had come. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders, crucified and rose from the dead. He is the Lord's Messiah, our Savior. And now we pick up the story at verse 38 where we read. My message contains three main points from, derived, I hope, from Luke's narrative. We will see there that there's a gospel invitation that comes with a warning, that there are two responses and there are two destinies. And then thirdly, our Lord commands us to take the gospel to the world. First, gospel invitation and warning, verses 38 to 41. Paul is wrapping up his sermon. He knows that both the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles have some realization that they sin against God. They would be familiar with Psalm 130, verse 3, which says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Or Psalm 148, verse 3, which says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So he says, let it be known that through this man, Jesus, 
Forgiveness of sins is offered to you. What's more, he continues in verse 39 saying, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. We cannot be justified by keeping the law of Moses because we cannot keep it perfectly all the time with our whole heart, can we? The law of Moses exposes our inability to love and obey God. We are impotent to free ourselves from the condemnation of the law, and we're just as impotent to free ourselves from our powerlessness to keep the law. The word Paul uses twice in this verse is sometimes translated as freed and is more often translated justified. It means put right with the law. He says, you can't be freed or justified by keeping the law yourself. You need someone else to rescue you. We all know that we need to be freed by Jesus. He came to provide forgiveness for our sins. By his death, he carried away the guilt and punishment for, that we deserved for our sins. And by his perfect life of obedience, he earned for us the perfect righteousness that God requires of us. We must humbly accept Jesus' sacrifice and righteousness as ours by simply relying on him. Paul speaks similarly in Galatians 2, verse 16, which you've probably heard many times this Reformation month. We know, Paul says, that a person is not justified, not counted righteous in God's sight by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order, that, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, in love, I must ask all of us and, and you this morning, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you received God's forgiveness and full acceptance? Is Jesus your rescuer, your good shepherd who laid down his life for you? If not, or if you aren't sure, speak to me or your pastor or an elder today, please. Now in verse 40, Paul warns his listeners not to be scoffers. Don't scoff at the saving sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, he tells these synagogue listeners. Don't reject, but humbly believe. For if you don't trust the gospel for yourself, you will perish. You will die in your sins and in your separation from God. Sadly, we have seen that response in our work in Slovakia. One woman I will call Jane has heard the gospel repeatedly from missionaries and, and Slovak Christians. She enjoys the love and acceptance she experiences when she's with believers, but she refuses to accept that she needs Jesus' cross 
and righteousness and resurrection. She is making the fatal mistake thinking that God will overlook her mistakes. Well, we come to the second point. We see that there are two responses that Paul receives and that generally is received, and there are two destinies. So look, let's look at that. Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue, and the meeting breaks up. As they leave, there are many Jews and Gentiles who beg to hear more of their message the next Sabbath. I don't get that very often, but isn't that an amazing response? Holy Spirit was definitely at work in hearts. It seems clear that some Jews and Gentiles had already accepted and believed the gospel message. I say this because Luke writes in verse 43 that Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. We all know what grace is, right? But let me say it anyway. Grace is God's free gift of eternal life received by a repenting and believing sinner. Paul is urging them to continue to trust in God's full and free forgiveness and in Jesus' righteousness given to them. But it's not only new believers, but it's older ones as well who must continue in the grace of God. Paul tells the Colossians, uh, Galatians in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is how to continue to stand and walk in God's grace every day. In Colossians 2, 6, Paul tells us, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. One of our dearest friends and encouragers is, in Slovakia is another Jane. It's a very common name. She used to be a hard-working servant of the church who thought that it was her performance that earned God's favor. Her service was sincere, but it was joyless. Her witness to not-yet-believers was unsympathetic. Then Jesus showed her that she was fully secure in God's love by his grace. Now, Yana looks to Jesus for her righteousness and not to her own performance. She has become a witness with winsomeness. Now her humility and joy are infectious. By her example, other Slovaks, including her husband, are awakening to the call to share the good news. Well, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city showed up at the synagogue to hear more of the Word of God. Are we ready for that here? Wouldn't that be so amazing? Don't miss this. There were no modern means of communication that the apostles could use to advertise, no Facebook, Twitter, or other social media. For sure, the Jews who did not believe were not going around town advertising for Paul and Barnabas. And of course, Paul and Barnabas would have, through the week, Sunday through Friday, been sharing with as many as they could possibly speak to. But it seems it was the new believers 
the ones who received God's gift of eternal life who spread the good news. They could not keep such good news to themselves. I wish you could meet some of the young believers in Slovakia. Another woman, Susan, is a new believer. She's a talented artist. When our colleague, John Lasondak, met her first, she was confused about many things and disillusioned with religion. As she began to attend various outreach Bible studies that we offered in our ministry center, she got many of her questions answered. And as she observed our efforts to share Christ with the unbelievers who came to our events, she was being discipled herself in her new faith. Now, when customers come into her shop, she speaks to them enthusiastically, not mostly not about her art, but about Jesus. She has an irrepressible joy in Jesus that compels her to share the gospel with everyone, virtually everyone she meets. How is it with me and you? Why is it we seem to be more excited to talk about our favorite sports team or political issue than to talk about Jesus? There can be many reasons for that, but isn't it at bottom the result of becoming blasé about Jesus? These young believers here in Antioch of Pisidia, they could not enjoy, they could not contain their joy about the grace of God in Jesus and his sweet forgiveness of all their sins. Well, I remember meeting Mark in 2005. He was in his mid-teens, and for over a year, he had come to our English camps. I don't know if any of you were part of the group who came over and helped us with an English camp, and if so, if you were, then you, you would probably remember Mark. He came to our English camps, two years running. He participated in all the programs at our ministry center, for, uh, all the programs for youth at our ministry center. Not only that, he even regularly attended our Sunday worship service uh, every Sunday. After asking us question upon question upon question, he put his trust in Jesus. Today, he's a joyful man. And God is preparing him uh, for full-time ministry as a pastor. He can't get over the fact that Jesus bought him with his own precious blood. Now Luke tells us of another response to the word of God. The Jews who did not accept the gospel of grace became jealous of God's servants and began to oppose and disparage them and their message. So Paul and Barnabas told them two truths. First, the apostles said that it was right and proper that they give the Jews the first opportunity to hear the events and meaning of the life and death of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul had shown them from their own scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David. It was through the Jews that the Savior had come. And so Paul's policy was always to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentiles. But by rejecting the word of God, the apostles say in verse 46, you Jews are judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life. 
a chilling word. He means that by rejecting God's way of being forgiven and made right with him, the Jews had declared themselves unqualified to receive eternal life. They imagined they did not need to run to Jesus to be saved. As an old hymn puts it, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. And they refused to feel or to admit their need of him. Well, thirdly, we see the Lord commands us, commands us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The apostles end their response to the Jews with these words at the end of verse 46 and 47. They say, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas tell the unbelieving Jews that because of their choice to oppose their mission and message, the apostles will turn their full attention to the Gentiles. Paul justifies that decision on the basis of a quote from the prophet Isaiah. We'll come back to that. The Gentiles present, present heard this and were ecstatic. Their joy was not only due to gaining the full attention of the apostles, but even more so because they heard that they had God's full attention too. In the quote from Isaiah, God says that he sent the Messiah not only for the Jews, for the Jews, but not only for the Jews, but also to bring salvation to the Gentiles, even those living at the farthest ends of the earth. When you heard Paul's quote from Isaiah in 49, verse 6, were you surprised at, at how he applied it to himself and Barnabas? Because in his Isaiah 49, God is speaking to his servant, the Messiah, to come. He says that he is sending him on a mission of bringing light to the Gentiles and salvation of course, we see the fulfillment of that in our Savior, Jesus, and he de who declared himself to be the light of the world, the giver of eternal life. So how can Paul use this verse to validate his decision to turn his attention to the Gentiles? Remember when the risen Jesus met Saul on his way to Damascus? Remember, Jesus asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? Though Paul was persecuting the followers and not, wasn't, didn't think it was even possible to persecute Jesus anymore. Paul heard, Saul, that is, heard from Jesus himself that he, Jesus is one with his followers. When you touch a follower of Jesus, you touch him. He identifies so closely with us that we collectively are called his body, and we are one in him.
So Paul is justified to apply this verse about Jesus to himself and the other apostles. And because of our being the one body of Christ built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it applies to us today. I know the Faith Presbyterian Church has a long and distinguished history of commitment to missions. I know because it has been so important to us personally, but also I know of, of much more that you have been doing. So I am encouraged to ask this question, how is your commitment today? How is mine? After 38 years, Esther and I are at the end of our work in foreign countries. And many of our colleagues in Mission to the World are also finishing their races. And this comes at a time when opportunities are multiplying. Who will go to take the gospel to the distant places? MTW is asking, I'm sure you're aware, that all of our PCA churches commit to praying for and sending 1% of their membership into world missions by the year 2025. In the case of the church in Syrian Antioch, they sent their most able leaders in Paul and Barnabas. Is Spirit speaking to you? This passage ends with two great encouragements when, when we take the gospel to our neighbors down the street or to another country. Although Paul and Barnabas had been strongly opposed by unbelieving Jews and driven out of the district, what did he and Barnabas leave behind? Luke says in verse 48b that all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Notice how Luke puts that. All who the Lord had chosen, he brought to himself through the preaching of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas could be confident that their purpose was accomplished in Pisidian Antioch, and it would be accomplished again in Iconium. They knew that God had his chosen ones all over the world, and he would not fail to draw those he had elected to eternal life. We have that same assurance as we go. Whether the harvest seems large or small, we know Holy Spirit will not allow the seed of his saving word to return empty, but shall accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which it is sent. In this case, in Antioch of Pisidia, it seems that a significant number of people became disciples, judging by what Luke says in verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The whole region. The closing verse provides the second encouragement, and we will close with this. As we bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Luke says that the new disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was giving them joy in their new relationship with God, their Father. And Holy Spirit was giving them spiritual resources 
not available to them before. Notice again that Holy Spirit was moving the young new believers out into their region to tell the good news. He was giving them boldness and fruit. So, brothers and sisters, let us walk in step with Holy Spirit as he leads us all to take our place in bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Pray with me, will you? Lord God, this is your word to us this morning. What a wonderful story of your blessing, your, your preached word, your spoken gospel message. Oh, Father, open our mouths that we would receive it more and more into our own hearts and speak it to our friends, family, colleagues. Lord, give us the joy of our salvation and carry us along as we seek to be your servants for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. Amen.